I want to preach on the power of God. I've got a, a chair here because my legs are sore from training this week. No, not really. I, I, I want to do a, um, an unpacking of the Scriptures with you this morning. Um, and, and this message is called All Powerful Jesus. When it comes to issues of our faith, um, our faith is only as strong as what we put our faith in. I don't know if you noticed this, but I just sat down on this chair with the confidence that it would hold me. If there was a chair right here beside me and had three legs, you choose which chair that you sat on. You put your faith in a chair, most of you would go for the four-legged chair because your faith isn't the strong thing. It's the object of your faith that supports you. That's the strong thing. And so there's many things that you people put their faith in. You can put your faith in money and relationships and people to give you your happiness, your satisfaction, what you need in life. But your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith. If you put your faith in the flying spaghetti monster out there somewhere, I dare say it won't return much for your life. But today I wanna talk about something that we can put our faith in. And that's why I've called this all powerful Jesus because sometimes we know that Jesus can change things and He can do some good. But what extent, to what extent does Jesus have reign? To what extent can He make a difference And so today we're just looking at one scripture, a scripture that most of you will know quite well. It comes from Mark chapter four. If you have a a Bible, you can read along. It'll be on the the screen behind me as well. It's uh, the story of Jesus in the boat talking to the wind and the waves. And let me give you the spoiler right now. The, The purpose of this whole scripture is so that we can trust Jesus in the wind and the waves and the storms of our life. But there's so much more here that we need to unpack if we want to live in the fullness of the life that Jesus has for us. Verse 35 says this, On that day when evening had come, He told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took Him along since He was in the boat and other boats were with Him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat. So the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, that's the back of the boat. So sleeping on the cushion, they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care? Don't you care that we're gonna die? He got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey Him. We're gonna ask that same question of the text today. Who is this? Who is this man called Jesus that we profess to have our faith in? Now, I never got my pen license in high school, so I'm gonna need a bit of grace from everybody that my handwriting is awful, but... Uh, stay with me on this. This is just so I can keep everything in order in my head. What we know from this scripture is that the first thing is first, we know that Jesus can change things. What we have is a storm. Now, my mum would be proud of this. In maths, there is a symbol, which is the triangle, which means delta, which means change. So I'm using that to save time. Things, Jesus changes things. We have a storm, then we have a calm. You laughing at my things, Pastor Joey? 
So Jesus changes things. We can see that here. What I would like to know and what I would ask of the Scripture, many people think that this story can be metaphorical. It's a story that shows that Jesus is the God of storms. And so when we are facing an inner turmoil, Jesus can bring a calm, which is true. Jesus can 100% do that. But is that the limit of the story? How do we know if this is a metaphor? How do we know if it's actually real? And I think the answer to that question lies in the details of the stories. Look, if we look at the details of this, when evening had come, okay, that's a, a detail that has next to nothing to do with the story. They left the crowd, they took him along since he was in a boat. As in earlier in Mark, he pushed off the shore in a boat to teach everybody and they pretty much pulled alongside him, swapped him over boats, kept going. Other boats were with him, it says. Another um, detail of no relevance to the main point of the story. Um, he was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. They could have just said he was asleep in the boat. Again, details. All through this account, there's these details that don't really impact the storyline or morality of what's being taught. Now, in our timeline and, and from the 19th, 20th, 21st century, fictional writing included a lot of details. But 21st century, fictional writing wasn't like that. So what we're presented with here is two options. Either the author Mark had this divine inspiration to suddenly write fiction that no one did before or no one did after for 18 centuries, write fiction in one kind of way, or the other option is that this is an eyewitness account. So what we have here, and which we must conclude, is that this is an eyewitness account of what actually happened. In Brisbane, in the 21st century, we have, uh, I don't know how many denominations of Christianity or how many people saying they know who the real Jesus is. And I reckon one big question, because some people say, oh, well, I believe, you know, the gifts of the Spirit stopped back then. One says, other people say these different things. With so many beliefs about the same person, how do you know who the real Jesus is? We have to go back to eyewitness accounts to def who define his characteristics and who he is. And so right here, we have an indication that this is the real Jesus. This is telling us something about who he really is. And if Jesus is real, because a lot of people view Jesus and in, in modern Christianity, we say Jesus was this great moral figurehead of the past and we read stories about him, apply those good morals to our life in order to become better moral people. But that's not what this is. This is saying there is a real person and Christianity is about real people following a real person. And if he is real, then you either follow him in all his entirety, you can't follow half of a real person. If he is a figurehead, something in the Bible, you can pick and choose what you like depending on what it is. But if he is real, if he's someone we must follow, then you can't pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we need to be obedient to. Because in our story, in our, in our modern day Christianity, there's things in the Bible you will naturally like. We probably love the servant on the mount. Hey, here's how you should treat your fellow person. Treat them with kindness and treat them with goodness. If they ask for your coat, give them it and walk with them an extra mile. All these lovely things in our social justice culture, which we like to hear. And then he says something about, uh, don't drink too much. Don't have sex before marriage. And you're like, oh, those, those things are outdated. And we pick and choose 
which parts of Jesus' teaching we like to follow. But if he's real, if he was just a figurative, if he's got some morals to teach us, sure, we can do that. But if he's real, then we must follow him entirely. What we see here is that Jesus is the real Jesus and the real Jesus can change things. What can he change? And this is what we get to next. Does he have the power to change a few things? Things internally, what can he change? In the, um, the Sea of Galilee, I like this, the Sea of Galilee is uh, a sea that's about 200 metres below sea level. It's this uh, body of water, about 30 kilometres, 40 kilometres north of it is Mount Hermon. It's this big mountain, it's about 3K high. And so what the Sea of Galilee is, you have this warm wind coming off the ocean that's low and this cold wind that comes off the mountain and the Sea of Galilee is this place where they're constantly colliding. And so we have um, this environment where storms are common. It's not uncommon that a storm came up on the Sea of Galilee. And if we look at the disciples' lives, who were the disciples? Well, a majority of them, a lot of them, before they were disciples, they were fishermen. So these are not rookie sailors. They're not rookie to being on water. Yet here come these guys up to Jesus who's asleep, resting comfy on the boat. And their language to him, we see here in verse 38, is not, hey teacher, the seas are getting a little bit rough. Maybe we should go back. I've seen this a few times. I'm an expert salesman, we should turn back. It's not it's getting rough. It's not it's getting hard to deal with. They come to him in a panic. Okay, experienced sailors who know the water come to him saying, teacher, don't you care? We're gonna die. As in, we've done everything we can to save ourselves. We know where it goes from here. We are about to die. And Jesus gets up and he says these words, silence, be still. And in the original language, it's, it's present progressive tense, which means the first part is present, silence. But be still almost means be still and stay still. It's almost like I would be talking to my two-year-old Aurora and saying, hey, just, just sit down and just be quiet for a bit. It's almost like you're talking to a child. Here we see Jesus use language as if he's almost talking to a child. Hey, sit down and shut up waves, just that kind of language. But so this storm that we've got coming up, what we've seen the disciples are panicking from is not just, you know, uh, an afternoon shower and it'll pass and we'll be all good. This is like a force of nature. The Bible's trying to say here that there's a, probably a few things that nature can conjure up that are as powerful as this. And maybe they could have used a volcano. Maybe they could have used an earthquake. They've used a huge storm, not a small storm. This thing is big. Okay, and so what they see here is Jesus coming up and going to a force of nature, something huge, something big. And with a single word, it says, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Now, what happened here is not just that the wind stopped blowing, but also imagine the oceans in a moment going from the waves cascading into the boat to just, it was a mirror in a moment. Because if it was just wind, I've, if you've been out on a boat, the wind is gusty and it can stop for a moment and then pick up again. That could be coincidence if you told the wind to be quiet. But he told everything and everything, the whole of nature just went still. And these guys are like, who is this? Because that storm had a power. 
That storm had a power about it that is unmatched by anything else on earth. And here comes someone that tells that power to be quiet. The only thing, only person that could tell that power to be quiet is the person who gave it that power. Jesus isn't just a power that's higher on the, on the priority list. He is power itself. Jesus is power itself. Jesus doesn't just change things. Jesus has the power to change all things. And so here we have a dynamic of two powers in action. And I always find this, when we, if we apply it to our life, that there is power, we say the natural, the storms, the things of life, and we have Jesus over here. When we come to around Christianity and what we believe, you can believe kind of one of two things if you're considering to follow Jesus. You can say, yes, I believe just the natural. There is no Jesus and there's only the natural. There's only the storm. And I was brought about by just this extenuating circumstances from nothing became something and here I am. And when I die, I go to dust. And when the sun eventually goes out, doesn't matter if I was kind, doesn't matter if I was cruel or loving or hateful, when I'm dead, I'm dead and it's all kind of meaningless. But Jesus is saying, and what this does, this combats meaninglessness for people's lives. That if Jesus is saying, I am in control, that even over the natural, even in the storm, I have control, I have purpose, I have meaning for people's lives. And so those are the two areas that we see here. Jesus can change things. You must believe that Jesus can change things. He can change things, not just internally, not just help you cope, but if you've been dealing with things, you've been dealing with sickness and things in your workplace, God can change things. God can change all things. But He doesn't seem to all the time. It doesn't seem like God can change all things or at least God wants to change all things or everything. And if we look at what the disciples did, I, I, I love the disciples' reactions, right? So they start off before, in the, in the storm, what are they? They come to Jesus, they say, don't you care, we're about to die. They are scared. They come to Jesus scared. Then Jesus stands up and He rebukes the wind and the waves. And so surely if their extenuating circumstances have changed and now it's all calm, the disciples should be feeling differently, right? But actually at the end it says, verse 41, now they're terrified. They go from scared and now they're terrified. As in they've seen this great calm and instead of them having the great calm, they seem to be more scared. What's going on there? And if we look at this, I can imagine the disciples, before they go to Jesus, there's waves coming into the boat, right? This is the crazy storm. There's waves higher than the boat crashing into the boat. These experienced sailors are getting their buckets out. They're trying to chuck the water out of the boat to stop it capsizing, but the water's coming in faster than it's going out. And they get to this point where like, we're going down. We're sinking. Where's the guy who said he was gonna, he loved us and he cared for us and he was gonna rescue us and make a way for us and bring a new kingdom? Oh, he's over there sleeping on the cushion. And they go over to Jesus and say these words, teacher, don't you care? Don't you care that we're about to die? And if you've followed Jesus for any 
kind of length of time, you would have had this moment. This moment, will, you'll feel this moment that it can feel like your life isn't going so well, that the boat that represents your life may be overcome with waves, that things are coming in faster than you can deal with them, that your whole life seems to sink in these moments. And you look around, where's my Saviour? Where's Jesus, the one that I call my Lord and it appears that He's asleep or at least absent? Where is Jesus? And in that moment, they wake Jesus up and he, he makes everything calm. And he doesn't give them a big consolation or a comfort or a pat in the back, like it's okay, sorry, had a nap. He actually rebukes them and says, why are you still afraid? Do you still have no faith? And this is why, and then it goes on to say, and they were terrified. This is, this is why they were terrified, right? Because they have this moment and they, and Jesus says, you still have no faith, as in something about your faith premise is wrong. You have some wrong believing tied in here. You come to me and you say, don't you care? As in, you must not care that we're about to die. Why am I in this circumstance? You must not care. You don't love me if I'm going through this storm. They come to Jesus and say, you surely don't love us because we would not be sinking. We would not be going through this storm if you did. And Jesus saying, you still don't have, you still have no faith. As in, you got it wrong, you don't get it. I do let you go through storms. I do let you go through what is rough. And in that moment, this truth dawns on them and they are terrified because they were happy to see that the storm was calm, but they see the storm having a great power. It's this uncontrollable, chaotic power. And here they have their Jesus. But in this moment, we see a Jesus whose power is greater, but is just as uncontrollable. He lets them go through rough times. He lets them go through hard times. And He does that for all of us as well. So there's two powers that we can pledge our allegiance to. Both seem unmanageable and both are unpredictable. So why then? would we go with Jesus? And many people say, yeah, I don't believe in Jesus. I just believe in the natural way of things. Sure, but now your life is at the mercy of every storm that comes up in your place. Well, what's the alternative? A Jesus, a greater power that's equally as unpredictable. And Jesus says, this, says that bit, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? There's something else there. There's this big, but why doesn't God do everything? What's better about following Jesus? And it comes back to that initial question, don't you care that we're about to die? At the, at the heart of all of this and at the heart of the questioning of it is this question from the disciples. Does He actually love us? Does He really love us? Because if He did, why are we going through all of this? The difference between the storm and the difference between Jesus is that Jesus is filled with love for you. Jesus is, and sometimes in our Christian faith, we get this misconception that Jesus is safe. Jesus is uncontrollable, infinite, unmanageable power. Jesus is not safe, but He is good. 
How do you know? And there's this question that everyone asks, well, how do I know that He is for me? How can I possibly know that that power is on my side? I'm going through storms like everybody else without Him. How do I know that Jesus is on my side? I, I always have a bit of sympathy for the disciples in this moment. Sometimes disciples do a whole bunch of things where I'm like, you're an, you're an idiot, Peter. Like he cut his ear off. I mean, or like Jesus says at the, you know, the last supper, hey, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter's like, no, I won't. I would never do that. Eight hours later, denies him three times. Like it's not even a date. And I often wonder with this side, but with this time, I kind of think, would I have reacted the same way to such a storm? And I, and, I, and Honestly, I got sympathy for them. If the waves were coming into the boat and this guy who's done miracles just having a sleep on the boat, I'd probably be on the same side. I'm, I'm sympathetic towards them on this one. But because how could they know that he was really for them? But we have something that they don't still. As, as today, 21st century Christians, we have an assurance and a promise and a proof that the disciples didn't have at this point. There's this writing style that Mark uses in Mark chapter four. And it's uh, very different, but it's entirely similar to another chapter of the Bible. There's this chapter in Jonah, Jonah chapter one, and Mark four and Jonah one are like parallels of each other. They even use a lot of the same language. And the, the parallels, there's just too many parallels for it to be a coincidence. Jesus and Jonah are both on a boat. Jesus and Jonah are both in a storm, crazy storm. And the language they use to describe the storm is the same language. Jesus and Jonah both are sleeping on the boat. Both in Jesus and Jonah, both the sailors of each boat come up to the sleeping person and say, help us. In both stories, God intervenes in the situation. And then in both stories, the sailors are more terrified after than they were before. Even the language do something that disciples use and the sailors in, in Jonah's story use the same, it's the same Greek word, apollomy. It's the same word. It's just all these parallels, parallels. And so we can see the difference between them was in the story of Jonah. Jonah said, hey, God's angry. If you throw me over into the waters, it will appease God's wrath. And they do that and the ocean goes calm and the wind stops blowing. But in this story in Mark 4, we see Jesus stands up and He rebukes the wind and it goes calm. So that's, that'd be a difference in the stories. But I actually don't think it's a difference in the stories as well, jo- at all, that Jonah was sacrificed to the ocean, right? But in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this phrase, a greater than Jonah is here with you. That I am a true Jonah, in essence, He is saying. He's saying that Jonah threw himself overboard, was thrown overboard to appease the wrath of God for that boat, but I will be thrown overboard into an ultimate storm to appease the wrath of God for every storm. Jonah's sacrifice calms one storm. I am gonna calm every storm, the ultimate storm. I'm gonna destroy death. I'm going to end sickness, end suffering, build a place where there's no storms anymore. And in this moment, And what we see as the proof of all of this, in this moment we see Jesus and what He did on the cross. That in this moment on the cross, Jesus sails into the ultimate storm. There was one storm. There are many storms that you will face in life that hurt you and bring you pain. 
but there's only one storm that can sink your soul. And Jesus sailed into that storm on your boat of sin. And when He was put under the waves of sin and waves of death for you, He made a way that because of the storm that He fought, you could enjoy the calm. And in that moment, this critical moment, we see that because of that, that in eternity, this is what salvation is, where we aren't on the boat of sin, but now we can enjoy a calm with God for eternity. And that's the proof that to the extent, to the revelation that you have of that moment that is burned into your innermost being, the revelation you have, you will know that you are loved and cared for by God. How do you know that He loves you? How do you know that He'll never leave you in your day-to-day storm and your earthly storms is because He would never leave you in your ultimate one. He never left you in the ultimate one. This is the proof. He's already done it. How do you know He won't leave you? How do you know He cares for you? How do you know He loves you? He's proved it because He's already conquered the ultimate storm. And if He wouldn't leave you in that, He'll never leave you in your day-to-day storms. to the degree that this revelation is, is burned in you, to the degree that you'll know, but it's also to the degree that you will walk in His power. But the power of God is not just something that fights with the natural storms out there. It's, we've been given the Holy Spirit, the power of God in our lives to do miraculous things in the world around us. But a lot of us don't walk in that power. There's this moment on the boat and it kind of convicted me when I read it because the disciples go up to Jesus and say, why are you asleep? This is our hour of need, Jesus. We're about to die. Why have you gone to sleep on us? But the truth of the matter is that Jesus has never gone to sleep on you and I. In fact, the opposite is true that when Jesus was going to the cross for you and I in the Garden of Gethsemane, He went there to pray to God and He took His disciples, which are representative of all earthly disciples to come and He says to them, I've got to go pray. Will you just stay awake for one hour? We stay awake for one hour and pray with me, believe with me. And He comes back and they're entirely asleep. Jesus doesn't fall asleep in our hour of need. We fall asleep in, in His. And, and just, I think every hour until He comes back in these end of days moments is an hour of need for Jesus. And I don't want us to be a church that falls asleep to the power of God in our world, that we need the power of God to take the Kingdom of God into our world. We need the power of God to disciple our families correctly. Even as I visited some of the lads' life groups throughout the last few weeks, we talked around this this verse that talks about for husbands and husbands, you need the power of God for this because it's such a, a foreign, almost radical idea to Western society. It talks about this parallel between that Jesus washes the church with His Word and that husbands do the same for their wives and families. Like how often do we take this out and purify our families by reading the Word and sharing revelations of what we had. We need the power of God for that, husbands. We need the power of God to teach our children. We need the power of God to talk to our colleagues about the truth that we carry, just what Jesus has done in our lives. You need the power of God when you pray for someone. You need the power of God to heal people. You need the power of God to have a radical faith, to see things come to pass that we haven't seen yet. We need the power of God. But like I said at the start, your faith that you have is not about just a a faith, it's what you put it in. And we have 
a God that can change things, but not just change some things, He can change all things. And we know that power is at our service for good because He proved it was for us by proof of the cross. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, that storm that He took on, you and I, we can enjoy the calm and walk in the power of God. And because He's conquered those storms in our lives, we are to be people who take the power of God and help calm the storms in the people's lives around us as well. Let me pray as we close today. God, You are the King of the storms. You're the the Lord of storms. No matter what we face, You have the power to overcome it. And not just the power to overcome, You have the power to make a way. You have the power for us to be lights in our world, the salt and light of the earth, wherever we go. We thank You for that power that's in us by Your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for people today right now that have never made that decision to to follow You with all their hearts and with all their lives. That people that may know You as the figurehead of moral stories in a way to be a better person, but they've never seen the real You, never, never had a relationship with the real You. And so I wanna give them that opportunity today while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If, if you're here today and you don't have a real relationship with Jesus, maybe you have a religious one where you come to church and do right things, but you don't know Him. He only went through that ultimate storm. He was put on the cross so He could have a real relationship with you and maybe you used to have one but you walked away or or maybe you've never had one but you're in this place today and the Holy Spirit's just prompting you that you need to get your life right with God. That no matter what storms you face in your future, if you have Him, you're gonna be okay. If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus today, the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand and we're gonna pray together. All eyes are closed, no one's looking but God's just drawing you home today. One, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've been through, He loves you. He loves you and He's proved that for you by what He did on the cross too. It's gonna give you a security that no matter the storm you're currently in, He's gonna give you a buoyancy and a joy again to go through it with Him. So if you need to come back to Jesus today, three, I'd love you to raise your hand so I can pray with you today. Thank you, I see that hand. Anyone else today? God, I thank You for that hand that I saw and any that I didn't. And Lord, I thank You that as that heart opened up, You're doing a miracle in their life. You say You regenerate us. You make us new. You transform us. Where there was anxiety, God, You bring a peace and a calm. Lord God, in any people's lives here today where there is a storm, an internal storm going on, I pray that You say silence, be still that inner turmoil and bring a calm and a peace around their lives. God, I thank You for salvation in this house today. I thank You that You are not the God of chaos, but the God of peace, in Jesus' Name. Amen, amen. Put our hands together for that decision today. Great decision.